Hello and welcome to Movie Autopsy. I'm Paul Culliver. And I'm Anthony McCormack. And this week we're going back, way back. You know, Sir Ridley Scott, he did a sequel to his Alien movies, The Prometheus. Remember that, Paul? But there's another movie he's doing a sequel to. He's doing a sequel to Robin Hood? No, no, Paul, to another movie. Let's uh, revisit it now. It's... Blade Runner. Now, Anthony, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, okay? Yeah. Which I want you to answer as quickly as possible. What for? Time is a factor with these questions. How come I be there? Okay. Uh huh. And they're designed to provoke an emotional response. Oh, I've never been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To check whether you're human or not. Okay, what kind of, well, I don't know what a turtle is. Now, my question is, uh-huh. how much do you love Blade Runner? Oh, does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, a special request from, who was it? Uh, was it Rosalie? It was Rosalie on Twitter. Uh, she uh, tweeted at us a couple, well, back in Feb, actually. Uh, what I really want to know is, when Movie Autopsy will review Blade Runner, yours... The Tyrell Corporation. And the answer is right now. <laughs> right the answer now. is <laughs> like at least a month straight away, immediately a month after you send that tweet, we're on it. Yeah. So, at, so what is her actual address? It's at, at the love of words. So if you want to thank her for mm-hmm. us doing this episode... That's, yeah, at the love of words. And you'll, you'll be able to see her picture and you'll be able to debate uh, between yourselves what her picture is. Yeah, I think it's rose petals. <laughs> we I were think... having this conversation. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it looks like rose petals. But... I think rose pe- Either that or she's wearing like a spandex sleeve on her elbow and she's, you know, flexing her arm in a particular way. I, don't, I think it's red blood cells. Red blood cells. Anyway, you can go and find out for yourself. Yeah, the love of words. Yeah. Yeah, did that provoke an emotional response in you? It absolutely did. <laughs> Warmth, friendship, familiarity. Yeah. So, I think uh, in preparing for this, I don't know what the previous versions of Blade Runner are that I've watched. I think they've all been... It might have been the Final Cut three times. So, I've just yep. I've just finished watching the Final Cut for the third time. Yep. That's what I understand. Okay. How many times have you seen Blade Runner? I've seen it a fair few times, and because I've heard stories, and and whether you're clued in or cl- clued out, as <laughs> I don't think there's such a thing as clued yeah, out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there are multiple versions of Blade Runner, and I always heard the the rumblings of a voiceover that when it first came out in theaters, there was a voiceover, and not everyone was impressed by the voiceover because it's it's a noir. Right. It's a private eye kind of thing. So they've got like the typical Harrison Ford gumshoe kind of, and then I went down to the station and, I, you know, this, that and the mm. other. Um, and But a lot of it, you know, you hear the the rumblings of it uh, and a lot, of, a lot of it's very much on the nose. Right, so like he, right. p- he picks up a coffee, a cup of coffee, and the voiceover says, then I picked up a cup of coffee. Like, a lot of the, you know, you don't need it so much. Right, right. That's interesting. No, I don't think I've seen that version then. Oh. Well, there you go. So you're going to be at it. What what this is going to be is I'm going to be the slightly naive. I only, because like when you go and get a copy of the Blu-ray, whatever, yep. it's pretty much you can only, I'm like the newer generation. I can only get one version of it yeah. these days. Yep. Whereas you are going to be the the counterpoint to that. We, you know all the differences. Yes. So not only are we... Autopsying a movie uh, that has been—I <laughs> mean, look—we got to be honest. 
we can only provide our own personal views on this because yeah. obviously it's an old old movie in the sense that it's now 33 years old. Holy wow. Hey, Amazing. there's nothing wrong with 33 nothing. years old. <laughs> I'm not actually 33 years old myself. A lot of my friends are. I know people that are that old. No, but what I'm saying is that it's uh, a much lauded, uh, much loved movie for many, many people for many different reasons. So it's not like we're going to add anything... Um, that hasn't been said before necessarily in terms of a an objective critique of uh, if you can even do that thought. Yeah, well, but, there are but, a lot but, of educated people saying a lot of very smart things right. about this movie, well, and we thought it's about time yeah. that some dumb people came in yeah, and yeah. said some very stupid things. So that's what this show... Yeah. <laughs> wow, way to, like, really sell the episode. No, I'm boiling it down to brass tacks. Yeah. No, everyone's just going to be like, oh, are they? Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's in a good way. Okay. Our listeners are all idiots too, in the best way possible. <laughs> wow! Don't worry about this. Right. There is not enough to be said about being an idiot these days, because I mean, where are all the Poindexters? <laughs> I don't know what point you're trying to make. Should we talk about the film? They're all writing books that no one will ever read, Paul. All right. Let's talk about the film. Sure, let's talk about the film. So we're going to talk about the film in depth. Look, if in your time on Earth you've never watched Blade Runner, go watch If you're a movie aficionado, go watch it. We are going to talk about it in depth. There will be spoilers, but the best way for there to be no spoilers is... If you've seen the movie. Exactly. So, let's get into it. He was dead all along. No, okay. He now. Firstly, I want to ask you a series of emotional questions, Paul. Oh, okay. Number number one. Good. And keeping in mind, I don't want to lead you in any particular direction, but I do want to give you permission, right, to not be one hundred percent black and white about this movie. Yeah. Keep in mind that there is a trope that exists called Seinfeld is unfunny, uh-huh. right? Which it doesn't suggest that Seinfeld itself, the series, is unfunny. But it suggests that if you come to it after a certain amount of time, like you're a new, you know, young thing that's hitting all the clubs and, and then, you know, you hear this show Seinfeld has been <laughs> off the air for a couple of years and, and you watch the Blu-rays, I guess you'd have these days. Yeah. Uh, you might not get the same out of it that the original audience did because the original audience loved it so much, Seinfeld is now everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the idea you're saying apply that to Blade Runner. I've come to it late. Yeah. It was made seven years before I was even born. Yep. Uh, I only watched it for the first time maybe early twenties. I'm now mid twenties. Uh, you know what? It was. I kind of. I was very committed to watching it the first time I watched it because I was. I'd already come out of like a massive Matrix. I was a massive Matrix fan, Boy. and I knew that the film The Matrix owed a lot to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Like owed a heap. Mm. Um. Now. It, yeah, on first watch, bit slow, bit hard going, but I, I stuck through it. I was like, no, this is something worthwhile. Uh, I didn't know about the the maybe he's a replicant thing on the first watch. Yep, yep. I saw it a whole lot on the second watch. And then interesting, on the third watch, didn't pick up on it a whole lot, which makes me wonder whether I watched different versions. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure, because the second watch, I was like, yeah, that's it's, it's making it very clear he's a replicant. And then in this one I've just watched, I was like, I didn't get any hint of it. So, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's interesting to me that um, in the different versions, there are different things that become very clear. Mm. And, and, and and no one version makes everything clear kind of thing. But uh, right. t- to a certain extent, that's the kind of movie it is. It's not a clear kind of... I feel like the... Let me walk you very quickly. I'll introduce you to all the versions. There are five. Oh, my God. 
No, okay. don't don't worry. It's going to be very quick. Okay. Number one, theatrical. Yep. Uh, voiceover. Yep. And then I had a donut with my coffee. You know? <laughs> Uh, as well as it has a happy ending, oh. which is kind of at odds with the entire rest of the movie. Uh, now, the second the second version, if you will, is the European version. The European theatrical. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same, but much more violent. Oh. So, when uh, Rudger Hauer is putting his thumbs in the guy's eyes, you know, oh, yeah. n- not yeah. a fan, not a fan of... His maker, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Beijing Dr. Freud, am I right? <laughs> uh, that lasts longer, and you see more blood. Okay. Uh, the nail through the hand lasts longer. You see the nail come out the other side. Oh. So it's kind of like all those little gory kind of moments last a little bit longer right. for okay. the for the Europeans. Okay. There you go, Europeans. <laughs> Have one on us. <laughs> That's for you. Have a nail in your hand on us. Now, there's one that uh, it pops up just before the director's cut, and it's called the work print. Oh. And what that is, what that is, is it it was never intended for release, but we only got the director's cut because they accidentally screened the work print Ah. and said, hang on, this isn't, (laughs) this is completely different. Um, And so there's some extra stuff in there. There's some stuff that's changed around. Um... And as well as there, there are little bits and pieces all throughout the movie of like dialogue that doesn't actually match people's lips when they're talking a oh. distance away from the camera. And um, the the lady when when she's reading the serial number off the um, the snake scale, I think it is, mm. um, and the number doesn't actually match the vision. And there are all little bits and pieces like that that you you would have to be a, a nerdlinger to notice all of those kinds of things. <laughs> But somebody did. So a lot of people did. Yeah, a lot of very fantastic, wonderful people. I feel okay. terrible calling them nerdlingers. I didn't think it would get back to this so soon. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so so there was a lot in there yeah. um, that you could tell. You know, that was the original. And so uh, everybody's patting Ridley on the back, saying, "Ah, oh, director's cut is fantastic, Ridley. We love it." Ridley saying, "Direct it. My my ass is my director's cut. That's not my director's cut." So he <laughs> he comes in and does an actual director's so that, cut. So did that kind of like force the studio's hand to let him do a director's cut? Well, yeah, in not not in a uh, oh, begrudging kind of way, but in a hey, people really seem to dig this. Right, right. We can make some coin. Okay, of course. We, it's always a cynical. Yeah, it's well, never something for the art. It's always a cynical money grab for the studio. Well, in 1982, when it first came out in the theaters, it it was not a box office smash. Right. Right. Um, and I, I'm not sure that it even made its money back or if it just made its money Mm, back. mm. Uh, but then the final cut, so that he comes, he does his director's cut, but he's a little bit rushed. He's got some other things in the plate. He's like, oh, if only I had time, but that's all right. You know, oh, if only we had digital technology to change that, but that's all right. And then the final cut is every, every charming little quirk that, that he just couldn't live with anymore. So Ridley Scott comes in and says, no, nope, let's, let's bet the farm. We're going to fix it all, and then we'll be done with this. Ah, okay. Now, I was talking, talking to a comedian, Lawrence Loon, about it last night, and he mentioned, and I, was, I, I think I then watched, because I had to watch this in parts, because it's currently the comedy festival, so I'm very busy, so I've been yeah, watching Blade yeah. Runner in parts, So like, which maybe is not the most optimal viewing. I'll accept that. I'll cop that. But uh, I got halfway through it, and I was talking to Lawrence about it, and he was mentioning that there's a scene in one of the cuts 
where it's it's Deckhard, right? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. Is Deckhard. 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 Is dreaming during yeah, the yeah. piano. She's playing piano, I think, or someone's playing piano. Yeah, or he's, he's having a sleep. He's playing piano. Right, but he's and- also asleep. Well, he's he's now is this it would be in the final cut, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's that. But I didn't actually see any of the dream sequence. Was I not paying attention? Potentially. <laughs> okay. Well, in the in the original theatrical cut, he plays piano and that's it. Okay. But every cut, oh, I don't think the work print. But every other cut since then, yeah, he's playing piano and in his daydream is a unicorn. Right. Is How it- did I not see the unicorn? Okay, yeah. I'm clearly not. Uh- well, th- that is what brings into question whether he's a replicant or not. Right. Because at the end, at the very end, Gaff, who's Edward James almost, mm. leaves a little paper uh, unicorn. Mm. And that's meant to say, in the same way that we know, you know, what is on these other replicants' oh, minds. Like Rachel's dreams Rachel's are all Rachel's dreams, implanted, the spider, yeah. etc. We, I know it's on your mind, too. It's this little unicorn. Oh, so the dreams are programmed as well. Yeah. Oh, boy. Because, uh, yeah, because, of course, this is Blade Runner's based on the film, or uh, the book, rather, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Which seems like... I, I've, I've read it once, and I read it ages ago. Mm. Um, but there's a lot in there that didn't necessarily make sense to me at the time, but it kind of informs the movie as well. Okay, yeah. Because the the test, the emotional test, I never really understood it properly until I read the book, and and um, there's a whole thing about the the population of Earth is is basically left. Uh, you know, they're going out into the space colonies or whatever. And Earth is a dump, mm. um, which is kind of hilarious because then you have J.F. Sebastian living in this gigantic building by himself. Right. I was, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. Like, he doesn't, they're not portraying him as someone that's particularly rich, but then yeah. he has this re- absurd apartment that's, um, is it LA that it's meant to be set in? Yes. So it's post, post-apocalyptic LA. Or at least that's the thing. So I was reading about this. In the book, it's meant to be, yeah, like, it is post-apocalyptic. Like, there has been, like, nuclear fallout and stuff. Um, Whereas in the movie, it's not so clear, I think. They talk about the... There's kind of the letters on the screen. The the, uh, exposition at the start is about the replicants, but not so much what's happened to the city. It's kind of this weird gothic futurist, neo-gothic kind of setting, but we don't quite know what's going on. And, you know, it's like... Apparently, Philip K. Dick, this story sticks out in my head. Yeah. Like, he had a chance to see the actual vision before he passed away. I think he passed away bang on the movie coming out. Who is the author? Yeah, He he is the author of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the novel. Mm. As well as a gazillion other things. Including Blade Runner 2. What? Blade Runner 2? Yeah. I think he passed away before Blade Runner 2 came out. Who wrote it? I, I think it's going to be different people. No, the the novel Blade Runner 2. Is there a novel Blade Runner 2? You're yeah. laying facts on me now. I'm going to look this up. Or is this a video game you're thinking of? No, he's, he wrote a, a book. Does this exist in real life? K.W. Jeter. K.W. Jeter. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about K.W. Jeter, Paul. That's... Published in 1995, Blade Runner 2, The Edge of Human. Yeah. A, con- a continuation of both the film Blade Runner and the novel upon which it is based. So they they've brought out they brought out a Blade Runner two novel. Whether the new movie is going to be based on that novel, I'm going to guess maybe not. Yep. 
Um, just like there have been Bond films, uh, or rather Bond books written. Yeah. That are not by Ian Fleming. Continued on the story of Bond. Yeah, that's true. So you didn't, yeah, there you go. I just discovered that the other day in my quick quick Wikipedia Googling. Um, well, apparently Philip K. Dick, who was the original author of the original book, uh, got to see the vision of the city and he said, oh, it's perfect. Wow. And he was like, it's perfect because it's so disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the gigantic... And when you're a kid and you see like this Blade Runner imagery, you see the big Coca-Cola symbol and you think, that's fantastic. I could go for a Coke right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not until you're an adult that you realise that this is kind of like... This is pretty much satire. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of my favourite bits, and again, you know, the difference between a child and an adult, is when um, he's he's chasing down Joanna Cassidy on the streets... And you've got the actual um, street poles that are shouting, don't walk, don't walk. <laughs> yeah. And as a kid, I'm like, sure, you know, we don't have that now. Like, surely we're safe, you know, <laughs> without having to introduce that extra level of annoying. But that's just the point is that, like, the future of Blade Runner is we're going to put 800% more in front of your eyes than you need. Yeah. And we're going to drown it all out in noise, 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 noise. And everything is everywhere all the time, constantly. And you're yeah. constantly being advertised to. And it's kind of like the 1982 equivalent of the Minority Report scene where he's mm. walking past all the billboards and they're scanning his irises, which is another Philip K. Dick story. Oh, really? Yeah, there you oh, go. Oh, I need to go look up this man and read some of his novels. Oh, you do, yes. Uh, very good. Total so, Recall. Really? Absolutely, well. yeah. Because I was going to say, I was, yeah, I was getting Total Recall vibes off the, I don't know what we're talking about. Ben it's Affleck similar. movie, Paycheck. I haven't heard of it. That's all right. It's a, that's a Phil K. <laughs> Gary Sinise in Imposter. I thought you were just going to say Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> was invented by Philip K. Dick. That's true. I've never trusted Gary Sinise. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's a replicant for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing that calls into question. There are people who watch the movie who are 100%, I think, that Deckard is a replicant. Yeah. Um, and and they're, they're in the director's cut onwards, there's a shot of him, and it's a trick that they do with the replicants, the replicant characters, where they bounce the light back, so they've got like that red kind of glow in their eye. Mm. Uh, and there's a shot that accidentally catches, or so the story is, accidentally catches Harrison Ford's eyes. Oh. So, so a lot of people, and the unicorn as well, a lot of people say he's 100% absolutely a replicant. And then the other you know, opposing side is he's absolutely 100% not a replicant. Uh, and what's interesting is you've got a Blade Runner 2 coming out, that has Harrison Ford starring in it. Mm. So if they only had a four-year lifespan, right? So that's one argument for it. Obviously, yeah. he's not a replicant because he's lived longer than four years. But the opposing argument, I'm just you know, on the same breath, is that the happy ending to the theatrical edition is that Rachel, who is a replicant, or mm. well, can I give away the happy ending? Yeah. If you don't want to hear the happy ending. Uh, skip forward ooh, 15 seconds. All right. Rachel, it turns out that he has been seeing her papers and she does not have a four-year lifespan. She will live indefinitely. Oh. If you've just skipped forward, welcome. This is where you're meant to skip forward to. He was dead all along. Paul, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> we were trying to skip past that. Oh. 
Wait, so, and the same for him? Uh, well, okay. Well, skip, <laughs> skip forward another 15 seconds if you don't want to hear this. Okay. Uh, so, w- earlier in the movie, you know how... Right, I'm not going to get this done in 15 seconds. Early in the movie, you know how she says, uh, "Have you, you've seen my file, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, so, the end is, okay, if you just joined us, <laughs> I didn't get it finished in 15 seconds. I'll see you in another 15, okay? Oh, All right. boy. All right. Start. Go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the end is they're driving in a car and she's all ho-hum and he's all like, oh, by the way, I have read your papers, Dale. You're going to live forever. <laughs> and then they drive off into the mountains. And they're joining us back in one second. And hey, how you hey, doing? Hey, there you <laughs> are. Back. There you are. Sorry about <laughs> oh, that last one. Sorry, just had to have a cover quick, ridiculous. quick chat. This is like, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like that was like the sealed section. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Except that you, you opened it up and went, oh, don't. Oh, it's just us. Just... <laughs> Topless, telling you secrets about Blade Runner. Like, oh, oh. That's the thing. I don't think Blade Runner 2 should answer these. That's the problem. That's the problem with having that sequel. That is the problem. You don't want to answer these questions either way. You'd almost want it to be like a prequel or something. I don't know. Deckard back in his badass Blade Running days. And and what's interesting to me, like a child these days, and I'm generalizing because this was my experience. Mm. When I first saw Blade Runner, I was so used to Blade Runner-esque movies yeah. That were very that were very visually exciting, but they were action packed. Yeah, and Br- Blade Runner itself it has little bursts of action. Yeah, but, but it is not an action movie. There's a lot of very, um, I guess, kind of slow scenes. A lot of sections with just no dialogue. Interestingly, yeah. like there's there's long swathes of uh, film that's just kind of just seen and just just like Deckard investigating. Yeah, and stuff like that. And it's kind of it's very easy to look away and miss a whole lot just because it's it's packed so much just on the screen in front of you. Um, I oh actually interesting because I just read a little thing about the the novel, which is that they set up that because of the nuclear fallout and stuff, uh, there's very few animals left. Yeah, that's another one. That's another one. Yeah, that is very and which is interesting to me. I, sorry, I did interrupt you. Well, no, just because that's that ex- gives more context to the snake when she yeah. says, um, "Do you think I'd be working in a dump like this if I could afford a real snake?" And you kind of from that you can extrapolate a whole lot from the world, but that gives me a bit more context to the idea that actually animals aren't. It's not just that like it's actually that animals are very rare now. It's really interesting that a whole lot of them are robots. Oh yeah. my god, we don't just have robot humans; we have robot animals everywhere. And what's what's great about it is it's kind of like um, you're proving to it's it's like a social kind of status, mm. but you're kind of proving that you're not a replicant if you care for an animal because mm. replicants do not have the empathy. Right, that that's the, that's have. the big thing. Yeah. So uh, Deckard in the book, mm. Deckard is uh, has a robot shape because he can't afford a real shape. Right. And uh, he dreams of an electric sheep, you see. Uh. Um, but what I could never figure out is that you've got those two scenes and they're all, they they seem to contradict each other where, number one, you've got Joanna Cassidy's Zora saying, you think I could have, you know, would be working here if I could afford a real snake. Mm. But you've also, earlier in the movie, you got Sean Young as Rachel saying, uh, you know, the owl is artificial. Is it expensive? Very. Mm. I suppose you'd go on and say a real owl would be even more expensive, but yeah, that that always. Well, that's the thing, because really, like, aren't animals free if you just catch them? <laughs> yeah. Or is it? It's the idea that maybe there's this whole poaching trade 
the people that go out and find these rare animals and then bring them into the city and you buy them. Yeah. I guess that's what it's suggesting. Which is where you've got Harrison Ford in the movie walking through like the street market and it's all these like you know wild exotic animals. Yeah, yeah. So bizarre. I think it's really interesting um, talking about this in the context of now we're in 2015. Yes. I don't know if I've made this point on the podcast yet, but it seems that this year is the year of the singularity film, the artificial intelligence film. So we've just had Chappie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Age of Ultron, Avengers 2. Oh, yeah. And of course, we've also got Terminator. Don't forget as well, Alex Garland mm-hmm. is coming out with a new one. Is it Deuce it, X Machina? Oh, okay. Or, or it might just be X Machina. Right. It's it's the lady from Seventh Son. Ah, okay. Is, is a robot now. So there you go. So that makes it four, at least four. At least, at four. least four movies in a year that are exploring this idea of uh, it's artificial intelligence, or take it one step further, further, further. Yeah. further. And and you know this is bang on. You had uh, Johnny Depp ride himself into a computer at the end of last year. Was it the end of last year or the start of last? Is that year? Mordecai? No, 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 no. Oh, heavens. Because it's pretty robotic. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen the film. I don't know. <laughs> what did he do? Oh, that was in um, tra- Transcendence. Transcendence. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, so I think <laughs> it's... Wow. Not a lot of critics agree with you there, Paul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <sighs> He hasn't seen the film. All right. I, no, I have. No, Johnny Depp hasn't. Oh, yeah. I love does. that joke. I, th- I can't remember the award ceremony, but it was like, have you seen the film yet? No. And it's like, because he just doesn't watch his films. But it's great when he does a shit film, because you can be like, have you even seen it, Johnny? No. No, you haven't. It was The Tourist, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it might have been The Tourist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, nobody knows what that... Nobody's seen that film. Not even the people that made that film have seen the film. Yeah, surprisingly, um, Glenn Ridge has seen that film, and he <laughs> loves it. He loves it. Well, I mean, I can't judge because I haven't seen it. I Neither don't have I. Like, he's like, don't you think it's a great film, Anthony? And I said, well, you know, I, I, I think I did the wrong thing and said, yeah, absolutely, Glenn, I agree with you. Well, I haven't seen it. <laughs> don't tell Glenn I lied to his face. Yeah. It's does terrible with me. Does Glenn listen to this podcast? No. No. No, I'm does sure he, he does doesn't. Does he know it exists? He's only just started watching Channel 31. Oh, okay. I've been, I've been at him, like, slowly chipping away at, <laughs> at his... his well, what would you call it, you know? Anyway, I've got him watching Channel 31. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Glenn, if you're listening, um, welcome to Movie Autopsy. Welcome, Glenn. Um, so, <laughs> so no, I just, I'm just i just curious about that. This is interesting because that's about artificial intelligence kind of going like crazy, going too far, whereas this is um, a very different type of threat of artificial intelligence, whereas uh, it's almost like humans have made this artificial intelligence and put them inside bodies, biomass bodies mm-hmm. um, that have a four-year span. But interestingly, in most of the cases, they don't even know their replica, or in some cases. So it's interesting that some are self-aware, some are not, and it's the ones that realise they're replicants that become dangerous, but only because the humans seek to, you know, control them. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's that question of like, well, if you just let these lepi- replicants go out and live their life, yeah, if they're programmed with the same hopes and wants as us... I want to tell you when the movie really starts cooking for me on yeah. all burners. Because okay. it sets up, you know, the, the social, the emotional, the psychological, mm. uh, as well as, you know, the slightly spiritual, the spiritual questions that it asks. Yeah. Um, and, and you get all that instead of the action. And you're like, oh, all right, I'll eat this, you know, nutritious broccoli that you've provided me with. Um, and then, but it's bang at the end of the movie... 
and it's Roy Batty versus Rick Deckard, yeah. Deckard. That oh, and does he ever Deckard when he comes up against <laughs> Roy Batty? Because though I reckon, you know, if you have been going ho hum for you know a lot of the movie, and on the first watch, it can be a hard watch yeah. up until. Bang, those last, what should we say, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's right at the end, yeah. And it's just everything all at once, blam. And, and you know, this guy, Roy Batty, who you've been, you know, not necessarily rooting for the whole movie, you've kind of been saying, oh, I'm not sure about you, Rudka. You're a, bit, you're a bit of danger, you're a bit of malice. You haven't done the right thing by poor J.F. Sebastian. Mm. Didn't really care about Tyrell. You go for your life on that one. Yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was something about he kills his creator, and, mm. and that's psychologically disturbing. But as a kid, you just assume that's going to happen anyway? Well, it's like he's the big bad guy sleeping in his big bed in his big corporation. It seems like he's evil. Like, like, if you were to write a scene from scratch, and it's like a guy comes in and says to a you know scientist, I want you to help me live a bit longer, you wouldn't necessarily say, and the scene's going to end... With he crushes his head, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I didn't but, quite expect that. But as a kid, he walks into the room and you go, "Oh, there's going to be something terrible happen." So, and it's the same way, you know. I, I equate it to like Batman Returns. The Penguin lives in a sewer. Of course he does. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was 1992. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is all everywhere. Of course the Penguin lives in a sewer. <laughs> you look at Batman Returns now, divorced from all context, and you say, "What the hell is going on there? <laughs> Why does that man live in a sewer?" But there's so you, you know what I mean. There's something that guides you inexorably to. Of course, this is going to end in violence, mm. and apparently there's a deleted scene. Mm. Uh, I don't think this was ever shot, but it was storyboarded. Where Roy crushes uh, Tyrell's head, and then in the in the actual you know crush or whatever in the mush in his his hands, he's like, "Hang on, this is not." And you know, there's a barcode in there, oh. and then he goes into the next room, and it's the actual Tyrell, and he's been dead for generations. But he's oh, on wow. he's Walt Disney's been putting cryo freeze. Oh wow! So yeah, wasn't well, that an interesting? I, well, I mean, it's interesting because it basically turns up and goes, hey, Maker, um, <laughs> can you fix me? And then he's clearly done some research. Rutger's done his research. He's got a whole lot of things in his brain. He's like, oh, what about this? Tyrell's like, yeah. no. Yeah, oh, Tyrell, what about yeah. this? No. Okay. I mean, I've got this other solution that I looked up on the internet. No. no. And it's like basically saying, like, I'm going to die soon if you don't help me. I can't help you. Well, I mean... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I don't have any empathy. I'm going to kill you now. Like, well, wh- why wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's a little bit like it reminds me of the John Hurt reaction to Voldemort. You know what I mean? Mm. Like Tyrell is sitting there going, you have been fantastic. And you almost expect him to say, terrible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but great. You know? <laughs> like, like, what's beautiful to me in that scene you know, let's forget that he crushes his head at the end of it, is that he genuinely has love for this guy who is a terrorist. He's like Tony mm. Abbott's worst nightmare. And Tyrell has made him, and he's like, you know, um, I think you've done pretty all right. Pretty sure a terrorist is, is most people's 
Most people oh, aren't fans of terrorists. <laughs> I don't think it's specifically the current Prime Minister of Australia. <laughs> I think generally people are against terrorists, Anthony. Yeah, no, nah, you know, fair enough. You, you know, and- I would I would argue that now this is now this is controversial. Alright. I'd argue that some world leaders are big fans of terrorists. Yeah, well I- as long as they exist, it can mean they can, you know, it's they in- can Tyrell it up, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's that's true. That's yeah. true. You know what and I'm saying? There's so much on the screen that you you don't you need to become an actual person before you can start questioning it as well. And one of the things is the Tyrell Pyramid, because when you're a kid and you watch the movie, the Tyrell Pyramid is like you know a, there's a Joseph Campbell um, quote somewhere along the line where he's like, if you want to see what is important to a civilization, look at what the biggest buildings are. Mm. And once upon a time, it was churches and cathedrals. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, you know, oh, God is important to us or, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever other. Um, and now it's all the banks. It's all the the skyscrapers in the CBD because what's important to us? Finance. Money. Money. Yeah. And it's interesting that, um, you know, the police station, we only ever see it from the inside. Oh, it's kind of got that, you know. What, what it's like a Millennium Falcon kind of shaped circular up and down and <laughs> it's like a building. It's like a building. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it when you look at it in the ins, in the inside of it, it it looks a little bit run down, mm. not, not very exciting. You go to the Tyrell building. It is the it is it looks like God's house. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like uh, knock on the door, God opens. It's his. palatial. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's very interesting. I um this might be a different thing, but I'm I uh, that I want to talk about. Uh I think it's interesting when Rachel asks Deckard, "Have you ever taken the test?" and he says, "You already fallen asleep," I think is what, yeah, what yeah. happens there. And it makes me wonder about the test because A has he ever taken the test? And B, now is the test created by the Tyrell Corporation? Well, I don't. Or is it by the Blade Runner kind of? I think it's department. Yeah, I. This is what I get anyway. I think it's the Blade Runner department because it c- almost looks like Tyrell is happy creating replicants that pass the test. Right, that's right. Because he's like, oh, I want you to test it on something. It turns out that yeah. it's Rachel, and it turns out that now this is the thing. Does Deckard Deckard figures out in the test that she's a replicant? Yeah, but it takes longer for him right. to figure it out because right, right. she has the memory bed. Yeah, but yeah. Tyrell knew that all along anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, I'm just curious about, it's like a test designed to do something, but if the designers of the test had a different intention, then, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, well, this will weed out people that are replicants versions four and earlier, but we'll actually, we'll use this test. You could actually use a test that you tell replicants that don't know they're replicants to think that it weeds out replicants. To make replicants continue believing they're not replicants. Which is just unfair on the replicants. <laughs> it really makes it hard to figure out <laughs> what you're about. I'm curious, because, but- like, like, yeah, because you come into existence and then you you remember everything that's happened in your past and then you just have four years of real life to live. Yeah. But how weird is that? Just think, think about it right now. You, Anthony, the listener, just think about everything from about 10 seconds time isn't real. You were just snuffed into existence, or the opposite of snuffed, sneezed into existence. Definitely. And and everything, everything prior is just a memory from now. 
We just got here. We just got here, and everything we remember, everything, we're like, we were just sitting here. Yeah, they programmed us right up until the point that they turned us on. It makes a lot of sense, you know, because a lot of my memories don't really make sense unless they're false memories. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Why else would I be all those places? (laughs) Why would I have done those things? Why would I have done those terrible, (laughs) horrible things? (laughs) Why would I have made all those terrible life choices? Oh, heavens. I wouldn't choose to be recording this podcast. I would. I wouldn't be so poor right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you're rich in spirit. I am. I certainly have a lot of spirit. You you live through your dreams (laughs) of, of unicorns. I, um... I I find in the last minutes of the movie Roy Batty to be more sympathetic than Rick Deckard. Mm. Deckard. <laughs> De- that didn't mean to sound like it. De- <laughs> D-E-C-K. Deckard. Um, and and there, there was originally a voice over there. Mm. I, I think the, the person that um, loses out the most from the lack of voiceover is Edward James almost as Gaff. Because mm. a lot of his character is in the voiceover, I feel. Okay. Because he, he speaks the city speak. And, 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 and when I say city speak, that might not make sense unless you've read up on the film. But in the theatrical edition, there's an actual narration, and it's Harrison Ford. And he sounds very disinterested the entire time. Uh, and there are varying reports. Some people say that, you know, he, he deliberately did it disinterested so they wouldn't use a voiceover. <laughs> and Harrison's like, no, I, you know, I was trying my hardest that day. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, but he he talks about, yeah, Gaff was talking to me in a language called city speak. Now sit down. I'm going to explain to you exactly what city speak is. I understand it, of course, but I didn't want him knowing that I understood it because uh, that would make it too easy for him. <laughs> All right. So that that's why they cut the voiceover. By yeah. the way, if you wanted to know. <laughs> uh, but there is a voiceover in the, in the very end of the uh, the movie. It's the you know the the dove flying up to the sky. Mm. Uh, which in previous versions was like a blue sky. And it's like this terrible nightmare, LA, you know, pollution everywhere, giant flame clouds. And then the dove flies up to a perfectly blue sky. And, uh-huh. and because they couldn't actually let the, they couldn't make the dove fly up in the rain because it would oh, get right. soaked in the water. <laughs> and yeah. Um, but uh, there was a voiceover and, and, and Rick Deckard, <laughs> Deckard says, uh, I don't know why he saved my life. I, and, but it's a beautiful sentiment um, in, in the voiceover, even for what the voiceover is. Uh, I guess in that moment, I'm paraphrasing here, I guess in that moment, life meant more to him than, you know, and it didn't even matter that it wasn't his life, it could have been any life. Yeah. And that's beautiful. That is a very nice thing. I'm, I'm trying to develop some kind of theory. Yep. Or... You know, just idea. Thesis. Thesis, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, the very fact that there are five different versions of Blade Runner, five different slightly varied accounts, experiences, impressions of this story, effectively five different ways for this story to be retold, I think is very apt for a film like Blade Runner, where there is something about the subject, the subjectivity of your memory... Oh, okay. The subjectivity of your experience. 
You know what strikes me when you watch the different versions, if you have an opportunity to watch it, mm. uh, watch the different versions, they're all, like, you expect a completely different movie. They're all the same movie. Yeah. Like, you walk out of each screen, like, you watch two of them and you say, oh, well, they were pretty much alike. Mm. Let's watch the third one. It's all Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, even to the point where you have all these replicants. And I, I question how many different sets of memories there are. But if you think about, you take a whole lot of replicants and a, within that sample, there'll be, I don't know whether they're all got the same memories or whether there's a, you know, eight, you know five here, five over there, five, whatever. But think about this, okay. Five different replicants, all the same memory. The only thing that makes them different is how their personality is being programmed and how they actually live their life. Five different versions of Blade Runner. Okay. They're all oh. essentially the same. Yeah. But just with minor differences. You know, what drives me nuts is that at, at the start of the movie, you're worried about these replicants because you're kind of, you're told, you you believe, again, you know, to use the parallel, it's a Lyndon Johnson presidency. The government says that we have <laughs> to hunt down these replicants. Yeah. And you say, yes, sir, my government, sir, I believe in the government, I have hope. Scully, Agent Scully. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. But then by the end of the movie, like when these replicant replicants bleed, they bleed red, they bleed blood. Mm, mm. And it's synthetic blood, but it's still blood. And when you open them up, I don't know why you'd open them. They they've got bits and pieces in them. They're mm. still bits and pieces. Like they've been synthetically but th- that's the difference. They're not robots. They've been actually grown. Like, you go see the guy who makes the eyes, and these are gooey eyes that are all mm. yucky and mm. disgusting, and I don't even want to know about them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, there's so, there's so little difference between us and the replicants, mm. and it gives you a bit of a Nixon feeling. The only it, difference is that the government... Has decided that they are enemies. Yeah, enemies a, of the state. evil Nixon government. Mm. You know, Agent Mulder. I'm sorry, I don't believe in the government. I don't trust them. I'm starting to think about compassion instead, and, and love, and empathy, empathy like indeed the uh, Voight-Kampf <laughs> test uh, that th- th- that test encourages. Very good. Well, uh, I think this is going to be very interesting to see what happens. Really, Scott, not directing, but certainly shepherding Blade Runner 2. Yes. Um, I think he's perhaps wanting to give more focus to Prometheus 2, I guess. And I'm excited about that. Not a lot of people like that first Prometheus. That was very interesting. I think adding to the lore of Alien is always going to be interesting, even if it was a bit messy. Certainly the fact that it was shot for 3D, possibly one of the most visually stunning 3D films so far. I, I like say for Prometheus. So many movies these days are so dependent on science. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean, like Once Upon a Time and, and Blade Runner is a perfect example of a movie that the science these days isn't doesn't necessarily hold up, but there's an emotionality behind the science that I I think of the scene that we were talking about earlier where Roy Batty is saying you know, I read about this on the internet, I read about that on the internet, and Tyrell is shooting him down each time. Mm. And it's like, those are, you know, older, antiquated ideas, and I think one of the writers was, like, just taking stabs in the dark, but, you know, there were science people saying, that's not absolutely 100% true, but there are analogues. Like, you're not, you know, yeah. speaking a completely different... That's what I felt like with Prometheus. It was the first time in a very long time where I didn't understand what was happening, and... And I kind of enjoyed not knowing 
you know, when a man walks into a room and you don't know that he's going to smash someone's head by the end of the scene, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's enjoyable when he does. When Where does the penguin live? Where does the penguin live? <laughs> where would it anywhere. make sense for a penguin it's, to live? Exactly. Where would it make sense? The sewer, of course. <laughs> well, there you go, Rosalie. Uh, that is our movie autopsy of Blade Runner. Um, did, you, did you, do you think we did justice to our our own memories of you Blade could, Runner? You could do another ten episodes on this movie yeah. and not even scratch. You know, there, there's so much in there, and the first time you watch it, you're confronted with so much vision and so much story and so much, and and it got a lot of negative reviews. I think when it first came out, mm. and I think the first time you watch it, you kind of have a is that it kind of feeling until you unpack it and you go, oh, okay. There's a lot here. Yeah, there's quite a bit, quite a bit indeed. And so that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, we could talk for hours, but I think that's, that's our, that's yeah. our best dissection. We've, uh, we fl- have opened it up. We have opened up the replicant body. Blade Runner for dummies. Not, not for, you know, dummies aren't exclusively the ones listening. They're very <laughs> smart people, but they yeah, don't. don't, don't say that about it. Hey, listen, hey, you're, you're clever. You're so clever. I d- I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you get home, it's late at night, you don't want to read Aristotle. You know what I'm saying, Paul? You want to listen to Movie Autopsy? You want to listen to All Movie right. Autopsy. And if you want to listen to Movie Autopsy for more, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, podcast apps on your smartphone. We're at Movie Autopsy on Twitter. Tweet at us. If there's a movie, look, we take requests. We do. Uh, if there's ever a bit of a slow week or we're feeling a bit of extra time on our hands, we'll do a we'll do a one from the back catalogue of of the catalogue of life. We'll get to films. it absolutely straight away immediately. One month later, yeah, <laughs> at some point uh, next week, uh, we are doing Furious Seven. <laughs> now I should I should check. I haven't checked with you. I haven't seen any Fast and Furious films. Have you seen any? I saw uh, I think one. Okay. And six. Great. And that's about it. All right. Well, that'll, we'll have, we'll bring you the Fast and Furious 7 uh, movie autopsy. One from someone that's never seen a film, and one from someone that's seen the most recent and the yeah, first I, one. I've had them explained to me as well. Oh, good. Which okay. Is a very fascinating experience. If we you will, can yeah. get a Fast and Furious watch it to explain the movies to you. I highly recommend it. I feel like of all the franchises, it's the one I'm going to need to know the least about it going into. Absolutely, that's true. (laughs) Well, that'll be coming up next week. See you next time.